0: All right, well, you may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, tonight, uh, lesson we're going to be dealing with John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Now, uh, those of you who have been with us know that uh, in John chapter 5, we're going to kind of start a continuation of a following up on some things that ended in, in chapter 4. In other words, uh, we find Jesus making his way back to Jerusalem after you know, he had this powerful ministry moment back in Samaria uh, when he had witness to the lady at the well, and as a result, the whole Samaritan village came into the knowledge of who he was as the savior of the world. So now, after those events occurred, he had he made a quick stop and healed a, a government official's son. We saw that. And so upon returning to Jerusalem, it was uh, a time for one of the feasts of the Jews. And, uh, and there were certain feasts that, the males were required to go back whenever that feast occurred, okay? And, 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 and normally it was Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Shelters or Tabernacles as they call. And so here we find Jesus going back. We, it, the Bible don't specifically say what feast he was going back for, but we know that he was going to be in Jerusalem at this time based upon the text. So look at this in, in chapter 1. It says, after this, there was a great a feast of the Jews, And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, just again, talking about those feasts that we just mentioned. And and, and I think most of you are familiar, so I won't try to explain Passover, but I think you got that one. Uh, The Feast of Weeks was kind of tied to Pentecost for uh, several weeks. And then on the 50th day, they celebrated. And the Feast of uh, Shelters or Tabernacles uh, kind of commemorate their time in the wilderness when they were living in tents and things of that nature. And so then we get to verse uh, two through four, and I'm reading two today from uh, the New King James because some translations uh, leave out verse four uh, uh, b- because they say that uh, they believed it was added by the scribes or, or someone just to kind of explain uh, the miracles that was happening there, or what the people were doing there, and 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 uh, and so that's why. They leave it out, for, and, and, but in King James Version of the Bible and the New King James, they include verse four. So I will read that tonight. So for those of you who maybe have that translation of the Bible, and so he says, "Now there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, uh, a pool. There in the Jew, Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called a, in the Hebrew, Bethesda." having five porches. In other words, there is talking about Bethesda. Hebrew translation meaning a house of kindness. So this was a place that people could go and these five porches uh, kind of represent uh, uh, tenant areas, if you would say, around a pool area. And, and and being around these pool areas, being with that name house of kindness, it looks like people were going back there because they were looking for a blessing of some sort. And, and so he says, now look at this. In these... In these, talking about those porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, the blind, the lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. He says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So this appears to be that... uh, it don't specify a, at a particular time or a particular season. It just says that these people must have believed that there was healing power in this water when the angel came down. You know that place you can go in the world today where people go to these springs, underground springs and all that, because they believe that there's healing power connected to them based upon the resources or based upon the minerals that's found there. Now here it specifically says the angel came down and stirred the water. again. This is a passage that is not found everywhere, but, but for whatever reason, when he stirred the water, it leads us to believe that whoever got in first was here. Okay? Which made it, you know, boy, you had to be in line and, and hope that you can get in first, you know? And and, and, and and this man now, who had been in this situation for a while, you know, when we look at 5 through 8, he looks like Man, he had been sitting in this line for a long time. And you would think that, man, if you've been in a condition for 38 years, you would have figured out how to get to the front of the line or how to get to the front of the pool something. I mean, you, but, 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 but it lets us know that sometimes people can be in a position or a predicament for a long period of time and kind of get comfortable in whatever it is they're going through. Major, go ahead.
1: But but it, it seems like like to say that okay if you get here first it wouldn't be like God will make a race I mean you know you know what I mean like a competition okay if you get here first you gonna get
0: healed yeah
1: I just don't, that, that just doesn't
0: and and again I didn't want to go into and talk about that in it deeper but because of that, the mindset out there, why would God do that if he was going to heal people? Why would he make it look like a race of competition? So somebody, some say that, okay, this may have been some type of superstition that they would practice feeling like if you get that first you get healed. And so therefore, I think around that kind of mindset that's why this passage was de- kind of debated and certain translators of the Bible took that out. But, because it didn't really matter to what Jesus was going to do for the man, whether they, he was there first or last, had no bearing on the fact that the man had been sick for 38 years Amen. and the fact that Jesus was going to heal him. Okay. But, but we read it because it's here, and, and again, I, I tried to make it, make it known to you that, that uh, disconnect there with various translations of the Bible. Now, when we get to verse 5, the Bible says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him land there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? So obviously Jesus had the ability to tell what, what's going on with people's lives. You know, he, he had this ability and so he knew that this man had been there for a while, so he just asked him a simple question. You've been sitting here all these years, do you want to be made well? And and again, going back to what I said earlier, sometimes your will and wanting to be made well can impact your faith. And so therefore, some people will sit in a predicament or a situation and never take any action to be healed. And so it also lets us see that Jesus was not going to do anything against us. Because he said, now, if you want it, you can get it. But if you don't want it, I'm not going to force it on you. And that can look at the same way we ought to see when it comes to salvation. God does not force salvation on anybody. It's up to us to make a choice to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because if he forced us to, then our will would not be at play. And so he gave us free will, and Jesus gave this man an opportunity to exercise his free will. Okay? Yes.
2: Okay, but this man is sitting at a pool. But when we read the Bible, we have to put ourselves in it because there are people who are in hopeless situations. Regardless of where we find ourselves, people are in hopeless situations. And Jesus still comes to us and asks us do we want to be made well? Whether it's poverty, whether it's homelessness, whether it's drug addiction, whatever it is. Because we all find ourselves in a state of hopelessness at one point in time or another. And we can come and try to encourage people as well as we can. But the bottom line is, if they don't want
0: and, and, and that's true, but, but, but at the same time, I think having a hopeless state of mind is a choice. I mean, situation can be bad, but I don't have to look at it like there's no hope because the Bible tells us to hope against hope. Even when it don't look like it's going to get no better, we still have to hope. And so we are hoping for things because that connect our faith. We are hoping for things that we have not seen. And so therefore, when, when doubt or whatever comes in, we still have to hope against that doubt. Right. We I have said
2: that, Pastor Because this man has been in that situation 38 years, not 38 months, but 38 minutes. He's been in this situation a long time. And people find themselves in this stuff as, as well. And like you say, it's not like there isn't hope, but because we get to a point, we give up.
0: Well, that, And I think that is true. I do think that some people will give up where another person will keep fighting, keep going, keep trying and believing that they, again, hoping against hope, and put the results in God's hand. Because now, when Jesus talked to this man, look at verse 7, when he says what the man did. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I am coming, another stepped down before me. Now, that seems like his excuse to me, you know, hey. The re- you know, some people won't do anything until somebody come and do it for them. To me, I'm thinking, if the guy for 30 years, you could have crawled and got close. I wouldn't have been waiting for some man to come and get me. If I could use my arm to crawl, he had to get, you know, he had a mat that, you know, he was getting around somehow. And so what I'm trying to say, to just say I'm waiting on somebody to do something for me, when I, there's some things I can at least attempt to do for myself. Y'all, y'all following what I'm saying? And so now look what he says. He said, so he was waiting on another step because another was step down before him, which always meant he was in that continuous state that he was in, that hopeless state, okay? But look at what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say go get nobody. Jesus told him you gotta do something for yourself. Amen? Because he said nothing. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and he didn't say, go get your buddies over there. Don't call Joe and John. He said, look, you got to do some things for yourself. So he said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, to do that, if you've been in that condition for 38 years, that's a faith, a step, a faith move. And so, sometimes, when God tells us to do some things, or give us instruction, sometimes it's a faith move. And sometimes, we won't move God's hands until we step out in faith. And so, so Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the Bible says in verse 9, and immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. So therefore, what Jesus did inspired him to do what he made, you know, could have made a better effort at. that. But at the same time, he had to obey Jesus and trust him in this situation. He could have now, after that, when Jesus said, rise up, take a bed, and walk, he must say, well, man, you know, I've been here for 38 years, and all of a sudden, now you're just going to come by and just say, rise, take a-. it.' It can't be that easy. it got to be harder than that, man. you 38 years, and all you're going to do is say, get up and take up my bed and walk. And the bed, dad's talking about a little mat, these." people back then, they didn't care beds like we talk about today. It was his bed in a little mat, okay? And, and so when we see him operate in faith, then it says, and immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now, that's important because by Jesus doing that on the Sabbath, with all the religious folks looking at this at this particular festival, now, the, the self-righteous side of this equation, look at that. They had been looking at this man for 30 years, had did nothing for him, and then now when he get healed, it looked like they should have been celebrating with him. I mean, they've been looking at him in that condition, but what they did, they focused in on the legality of laws that they had put in place or rules that they had put in place. Now, I know Keisha loves it when I say laws and rules and stuff like that. Yeah, but but now don't get me wrong. All rules are not bad. Rules that come between tra- tradition that is just based upon tradition and not scripture, then you can look at it. Tradition. So I, I like to distinguish between tra- tradition, man-made rules versus the word of God that give us some rules. Now God do give us some rules. Go ahead, Susie. Go ahead. Exactly.
3: And so there are situations that I feel that we continue to do that. Focus on the wrong things.
0: And that's a good and point. I'm, and I'm going to be quiet. Well, you, you know that's a good point because later on in my notes, I, I do have that thought in there. Sometimes when it comes to the things that, that God is calling us to do, we have a tendency to be, as you would say when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he told him, "You got the straining gnats. You got the straining gnats While the camels are walking right through, you, you're focusing on the wrong thing. That ain't got nothing to do with heaven or hell, and none like that. And then now, all these things that could impact somebody's salvation, y'all ain't paying no attention to. Straining gnats. <laughs> Straining nets. here, we in too many nests. Okay, we can make that a catchphrase here, you know. Whenever you think we're doing something, and y'all think, hey, this ain't got nothing to do with nobody's salvation, st- we're just straining and, strain and nests. Just straining nests. Okay, but, but again, if, we're, if, if it's something that has to do with biblical principles, that's not straining nests. He was just getting on the Pharisee because they were focusing on the wrong thing. And here we see them focusing on the wrong thing because later on uh, he would talk about he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he had the same argument in another gospel when he had to use the analogy, if you had an oxen and he fell in a hole on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? And his point was most of them knew, hey, we're going to get him out because he, he's connected to our livelihood. You know, we need him. And he said, well, okay, well, how much more important is a person who's created in God's image than an ox? So they should have looked at this and say, this man who's created in God's image and likeness is more important than the Sabbath when it comes to his healing and he's been in this condition for 38 years. Brother Anthony, do you want to say something?
2: Yeah, Pastor, you know, you got to keep in mind also, we're talking about religious leaders. Okay? And here, they really out in the forefront yet, he's just getting his ministry started, and here's this outsider who comes in to heal somebody, and this is something that they should have been doing and haven't done for 38 years.
0: Amen. And, 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 and again, this will start the beginning of this ongoing battle that's going to take place in the Gospels between Jesus and the Pharisees and the, and, and, and the self-righteous religious leader for a couple of reasons. Sometimes, you know, Jesus was drawing crowds. I mean, people were flocking to see him, and so I can imagine that they were taking note of that. You know, they was t- John the Baptist was on a smaller scale, and so they kind of put up with John. Because John was a little wild and crazy out in the wilderness. He wasn't, he wasn't in the synagogue pulling us out, but Jesus was right on our home turf. He's coming right where people come to worship, and he's changing lives right here in our home turf. And they could feel like a little bit upset about that, a little jealous because of what he was doing in their own area. So now look at this. Therefore, the Bible says in verse uh, 10, the Jews therefore said to him, who was cu- the, to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. In other words, they saw that as work. They saw this man now b- who's healed, Been lame for all these years, and now he can get up and walk. They saw him as working on the Sabbath again, missing the point. They should have been celebrating because they had been looking at the man for thirty years. They should have forgot about the rule that you know don't work on the Sabbath. uh, Yeah, they're looking at the wrong thing. We all agree on that one. Miracles happening, and they are looking at the man walking around with a pallet. Not realizing that the dude been laying for 38, and again that goes back to what we said, Major. What Key should have gone coin the phrase now. So, some, sometime, we, 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 we gotta stop straining that. <laughs> so, so that gonna be above it. So, so, whenever we hear this, we straining that. I mean, okay, is this necessary? Do we have to do it this way all the time? Is, who say the order of service gotta go like that? If that got anything to do with heaven, you know? <laughs> I'm just using those examples, but, but, but you know, yeah. And I'm open for change if, it, if it's not gonna change what we believe and who we believe in, but if just changing methods, how we do something versus what we do and who we worship. So yeah, the methods of how to do things have changed over the years. That's why music is always changing. They don't do music like they did fifty years ago. I mean, it's it's made change, but as long as it's still glorifying God, you accept that change. You don't say that everybody got to have a Hammond organ in church in order to have a choir. You know, it made it look like you wanted to say something.
1: I mean, but you
0: you should have you should have a standard, and there's yeah, nothing wrong nothing wrong with a standard. That standard got to be based on a... At on, that uh, no, no, at that
1: moment, tell me your standards, at that moment. No, but, the, but the standards are...
3: Yeah. Right
1: so, so, like you said, Pastor said, some things separate tradition. That was their tradition. And because they didn't, they didn't see the miracle because they were standing on their tradition, and we equate that to some things that we do in church. Some things that we do in church, no, it doesn't make a difference. But you have to have a standard. If that standard needs to be changed, then that's okay. So this man
3: would have not been healed because we are following a standard.
1: No, but I'm 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 equating that to today's time, how we do things. I I, I am too. And that's what you were alluding to as well. So some of the things that we do is probably tradition or. This is the way we've always done this. And, and again, it doesn't have to stay the same, but you have to have a baseline. But can and and then if you then if we wanna talk about change, then that's fine.
3: Can you take the perspective that everybody sees things with their own filter, right? The way you were raised, where your mom raised you, you know, there are certain things that you just wouldn't do and you did raise your kids the same way and so on. So you bought those things in the church in addition to everyone else. So we start merging these things because that's just how we were raised up in the church, did those type of things. But if it's not profiting us and growing this, this congregation, and I'm not asking you not to have a standard, what I am asking you is that when God is moving, get out his way. Because then what's the whole point of us having the move of God if we're going to come up like the Pharisees and challenge him on what he's doing on a Sunday?
0: So so a good. Uh, I, I, let me get it in a, pr- a pr- perspective. For the most part, even though we don't print an order of worship for the whole congregation to see. You know, we do have a pretty standard order of worship, okay? And that standard can sometimes be upset. But when it's upset, does it upset the order or is that upset and does it bless people in the meantime? Say for it's a good example. We know that we want our service to be uh, in a certain way, in a certain order. And say, for instance, this weekend, I know the choir is supposed to sing two songs, okay? That's standard. But if something happened on the second song and people get caught in a place and they're worshiping and they sang three songs, pastor got to deal with that. Now, it would be different if ain't nothing happened and Robin and, and the gang just wanted to get up there and do another song and ain't nobody standing with them and they said, well, we're just going to get us another song. And no, that's different. But if people's lives are being changed things are are happening or there's some recognizable way that we can say hey man the spirit is moving in the service you don't want to hinder that but at the same time if we got an order that we do certain things you know you still want to try to respect that order without looking like the order is gospel because we can flip the order around from time to time uh, if we want to and so hypothetically after a Sunday, we could relook at that whole order of service and say, hey, we're going to flip this around and do this first, this second, and all that. And still establish some new standard, which was what I think you or Keisha said, standard had to be addressed. Say, for instance, before COVID, our service was a whole, in a whole different order. But because COVID came and certain things happened, then the order of service got changed. Now, when some people came back after COVID, they were surprised, hey, why is this happening and not happening? Well, it changed. But for them, it may have been, hey, well, why does that need to change? Well, the conditions caused it to change, and the change has not taken away from the overall impact of the service. Uh, unless there's something that needs to be added back, we can always do that. So that's kind of how I look at that when you say traditional things versus things that, you know, that, that God is telling you to do.
3: this moment. Let me make this point on it. I appreciate everybody's opinions because that's what makes the church work. So you can love on somebody and have a difference of opinion of them. And because of that, we are able to come in here just like my eyes don't work like my feet don't work like my hands. I get all that. and But I don't like it when we compare apples and oranges. Like we're literally talking about God moving. In this man's life, and what the Pharisees were doing, and literally, that's most of the time what I'm talking about. Like n- not getting in the way of that, but there are people who will have a problem with that. Will come to you and talk about it or do whatever when when things are happening. So that's that's all I'm saying. Like I don't want to get down to like all the little things we do. I get it. That's what keeps the order and do all that kind of stuff. I know, you know, I don't. I'm the person to kick out the box. I get it, and and I appreciate those who help me stay in some type of order. But I, I really do feel like the biggest thing and the, the thing that's on my heart and probably where God leads me with the teens is a lot of times, like being open to them experiencing God. And that's what I don't feel like the Pharisees were doing with that guy.
0: Amen. 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 So now look at this. Let's read on because we're going to see something. This heated argument with Jesus and the Pharisees they ain't going to get no no better. Now, in verse 11, we hear, see this. It says, he answered them. He he answered them. He who made me well, he who made me well, said to me, "Take up your bed and walk." In other words, he was answering the Pharisees when they were asking the question. And then uh, then they asked him, "Who is the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk." But but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn from the multitude being in that place, uh, for a multitude being in that place. In other words, there was a lot of people there after Jesus healed the man for whatever reason, he kind of got lost in the crowd. And the guy didn't know who he was, what his name was, but that was all maybe by design because Jesus going to look for this guy a little bit later. You see, he, everything that happened may not always happen in our time because Jesus obviously knew that he needed a further conversation with the man. He got him healed. The guy happy. Him took up his bed and walked. Now Jesus go and find this guy. And we're going to look at verse 14. says, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, uh, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now look at this. Jesus found the man. Identified himself to him, going to tell him who he was, and the question that came off that to me is: Jesus connected the man's sickness to sin. So that leads me to believe that there is some sins that can lead us to sickness, and there are some sin that will cause us to suffer. But there are some things that we can do that can contribute to sickness. You know, and and just off the top of my head, I was thinking, you know, gluttony is a sin. And gluttony can lead you to sickness. Drunkenness is a sin. And too much alcohol can lead you to... And there are probably other things out there that's in that same vein that can do that. And so what we have to understand, though, is that Everything that caused us to suffer, though, may not necessarily be the result of sin. Some things we go through in order to make us stronger and better and get a better relationship, a deep relationship with God. But there are some things that I believe we bring on ourselves because of something we're doing that is not lining up with the word of God. And if we do those things repeatedly over and over and over, there may be a consequence for that. There may be a consequence for constantly overeating. It may feel good for a season, but 10 years in, it's gonna, it's gonna have an impact on you. And, and so what we gotta understand is that when we look at this, we gotta say that when the Bible identifies certain things clearly, I'm not talking about we missing it here and there. I'm talking about when the Bible clearly identifies something as sin. We gotta believe that if we practice that on an ongoing basis, there could be consequences for that. And in this man's case, whatever he did, Jesus connected that to his sickness. And just like the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no sin no more. He didn't stone her like they wanted to stone her. He, he acknowledged that what she did was wrong, though. And he said, now, don't do it again. And so I think that's when Jesus gives us all a chance. He's just telling us. Don't do it again, man. You can't keep doing that. And so therefore, when we see this here happening here, the self-righteous guys in that example with Jesus and the woman who was caught, you know, the way Jesus got them off of the lady is that he just made them look at themselves and say, you know, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And they had an opportunity right there. I mean, they could, somebody could have lied, but they probably knew lying was a sin. They were self righteous Pharisees. They knew lying was a sin. And so, therefore, they said, I can't, I can't throw no rock, man, because I'll cause I be lying. And so, they all dropped their rocks and left. And so, what sometimes, I think, going back to what Keisha said, what I think made you all say, I think every now and then, you know, when we're looking at other people, sometimes we just need to drop our rocks. Instead of throwing rocks at folks who may be doing this, we need to take a, a look at ourselves and see, hey, am I throwing a rock at somebody? Because a lot of times we have the tendency to be harder on people when it comes to their sin than we are on ourselves. So what we will crucify somebody else for, we'll let ourselves get away with it. And so that's why we need to, you know, make sure that before you throw that rock, Major, I'm just using an example. Pastor Bolden, Keisha, whoever, before you throw the rock, ask yourself, am I without sin? And if, I, if you are, then go ahead and throw the rock. I mean, if, you, if you feel like you are, I mean, if you feel, if you feel call somehow, I'm just saying, but I don't know what the guy, I don't know, I can't add to Jesus' story because the Bible, the Bible says they dropped the rocks and walked off. So I don't know, that meant, maybe that's letting us know, ain't nobody righteous enough to throw the rock, right. nobody's without sin. Go ahead, man. Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe not throw the rock, but I mean, so, so we shouldn't call sin sin.
0: Yeah, I mean, sin is sin, Major. I mean, we're not going to try but to say no.
1: So, are we? But we're not saying that, okay? If I've done something then I can't say anything to anybody else, we're not saying
3: that. I don't think people are. Empathetic or sympathetic enough, and there was a statement my granddaddy used to always say: "You want to judge me by my actions, but want me to judge you by your intentions." And for when I was a little girl, I didn't really understand it till I got older. And you know how when you tell somebody, "I didn't mean to do that," right? And you don't want them to treat you harshly because you didn't mean to do it. But if they did the exact same thing to you as an action, you would be all over them. So I think that's more what Pastor saying. like, wh- like not mincing words, but understanding that there are times when we need to show some empathy in situations.
2: <coughs> hold, hold on a minute, Keisha. Be still. Let me get that little back out your outfit. Get back out the way of this redwood tree I got in mind.
0: Hey Amen. That's another good analogy. You know, Jesus, you know, he wasn't saying...
2: It, major. I know,
3: but I think what the thing is is that the things that God has been delivering you from, right, that make it easy for you not have to, to deal with, I think I need you to maybe more sympathetic with the fact that I'm maybe still struggling with it and need some help. And again, mm-hmm. not that you don't come to me because I love you like a brother. So if you came and said, "Hey, kid," you know what I'm saying, you would be very. If you had something harsh, or something that you really seriously need to talk to me about, you would be pretty empathetic. But I think some people just go about with that. Oh, what ate it? You know what I'm saying? That, I yeah. think that's yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that that was kind of like my point, like. I wouldn't mind if you came to me and said, hey, man, you, you you might want to, not." whether you're doing it or not, if you told me, hey, you look like, you know, you drinking too much or whatever, whatever I'm doing, I, I wouldn't mind that. And I wouldn't consider you judging me because I would consider you a friend. So, you're, in a way, you're helping me, but for you not to do it, and you just left me out there.
0: And I think when we got to see judging is when we, uh, Coming to people uh, and with a condemning spirit, At judgment is saying, "Okay, now we're putting ourselves in the seat of God, and I'm telling Major because you are doing this, Major, God's gonna send you to hell," and, and, and that ain't my call. Right. My call is to say, Major, you know, right. drinking it, too much alcohol is a sin, right. but even if it's a sin, God can still forgive you of your right. sin. So my, so so, but I think because people always put us on defense because now, if I come to you, Major, the friend say, hey, Major, man, you're, you're drinking a little too much. You're going to holler, stop judging me. Well, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, you know, based upon how I see you when you drink, you're drinking too much. But if I'm afraid now because you're going to tell me, hey, stop judging I'm going to say, Major, I'm not telling you you're going to hell. I'm not telling you God don't love you. I'm just saying, based upon the scripture, you're drinking too much because you're getting drunk. Now, if you just, you know, having your daily glass of wine with your dinner and all that, that's one thing. But if you get drunk, yeah, you got to call your friend out when they're getting drunk. And,
1: and yeah, yeah. And he it says it's a way to do that. If you do so in love. Then exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: And that might be why God used stones.
0: <laughs> why he used.
3: Meta- Metaphorically, when you think about that. I mean, they would not there just in her face telling her, you this, da, da, da. They were throw, throw some stones at her.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's pretty harsh. That was hard. They, 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 know, we they have been hit by a stone, but. <laughs> okay. All right. Adrian, did you want to say something? <laughs> no? Okay. Verse 15 says, uh, the man departed. And told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so when we get to verse 16 now uh, through about 30, uh, Jesus make a claim that's going to really severely damage his relationship with the religious leaders. Because in this conversation, Jesus is going to say in so many words and make the claim that he is the son of God. And, And by doing so, they're gonna have a, a serious uh, problem and a disconnect with him because n- not just the Jews, that there are others who believe in God, but they don't believe that God will have a son. And so a lot of times when we talk to people, Jesus become the disconnect, not because he was a prophet, because religions that don't accept Christianity will acknowledge that Jesus was the prophet. They'll buy that prophet line. You know, they'll buy that he was a great teacher and he was a rabbi and all that. But when he make the claim that I am the son of God and put himself on an equal plateau with God, then now that caused these religious leaders, that was like committing blasphemy to them. Okay? So this is the backdrop, or this is where we're headed with these verses here, starting in 16. He says... Uh, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus, you know, after uh, the things that he had done and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. He broke that rule on the Sabbath. And as a result of that, now they were using this to build their argument that he was a lawbreaker. And because he was a lawbreaker, he deserved to die. Okay. And so now verse 17 says, but Jesus answered them. He says my father has been working until now and I have been working. In other words he says my father never stopped working so therefore if I'm representing him in earth and when you go back to John chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and we told you that this whole book about, that John is writing is about uh, letting us know that if we understand Jesus he is revealing God to us. And so he's saying to them, hey, if my father is working, then I got to be working. But in other words, he's saying, I believe my father would have done the same thing. My father would have done the same thing because even though he honored the Sabbath and made it a day of rest, he rested, but it didn't mean that he would not have met the needs of somebody that was in trouble. And so Jesus, again, going back to that that teaching about the oxen on the Sabbath, they get caught in a ditch and they would do that. Then Jesus almost used the same example that, hey, when there's something to do that pertains to my father's love, if I have to carry that out on the Sabbath, then I'm going to do it. Y'all got that so far? And and now look at verse 18. He says now in verse 18 of uh, 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 John chapter 5, he says, Therefore, the Jews sought to kill him the more because uh, he had not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. And that was a serious thing for a self-righteous Jew to hear Jesus say, hey, you know, they looked at the name of God in in, in such an awesome way that in some of their writings, they didn't even spell the word God all the way out. They leave letters out so that you just didn't even say the name Jehovah, you know. And and that's why in some of that literature, you get a Jewish Bible today, some of them in Hebrew, they will say G-O-D in reference to God when they put it in English. They don't say the whole thing because they, they, they held his name and him in such high regard. But they missed the mark. Because they believe he would never have a son. And again, that belief is where, is one of the reasons I believe that we have many different religions. Because everybody would not accept Jesus as the son of God, but everybody in most other religions have a figure that they have Uh, that they say founded or started or is the key figure in their religion, and therefore they consider Jesus on par with him, whether it's Mohammed, whether it's Buddha, whether it's any other major religion. So they see that, hey, Jesus was a great prophet, a great teacher, but the Son of God thing. And so with that mindset, you get this gospel where people don't want to talk about God below the God level meaning that let's keep the conversation at God so we can make everybody happy because I saw I think it was one of those uh, big celebrities did this analogy because they, they was practicing spiritualism you know because they now people everybody's kind of saying they are spiritual and that's true but they have kind of used that to kind of keep from having to say anything about Jesus and talk about God directly but what the, the analogy I see someone use that okay we all believe in a G-O-D, a higher being, an energy, a force sits up at the top of this mountain. And every trail lead to that, or lead to him. And so whether you're on this trail and call yourself a Christian, it don't matter. If you're on this one, call you Hindu or Buddhism or Judaism or Islam, it's all going to the same thing. And what we do on the way up the trail, we insert Jesus. Which mess up everybody else's theology because now we insert, he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes through the Father but through me." So on the on the way up the mountain, we stick Jesus up there and say, "Okay, we got to go through him." And everybody says, "Say, eh. no, we, no, we ain't going through him. We see him as just like our prophet." And, and so this has always been that disconnect when it comes to how people saw Jesus when it comes to him talking about being the son of God, the son of man, you know, and him and God being one. Though that type of language really upset the religious leaders. Now look at this in verse 19 and 20. It says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to, to you, the son can do nothing of himself. In other words, even though I'm down here, everything I do, I got approval. I'm only going to do what I've been authorized to do. I'm only going to do what I've seen the father do. Going back to what we said earlier, if you study Jesus, you should get a real clear picture of what God is and who God is and how he will operate, how he will do certain things. If we study Jesus, he says, but what he sees, he says, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. I'm going to act just like my dad. And if you know me, you know my dad. If you know me, the son, you know the father. And see, that's the point What we got to understand is that when we read this Bible, we got to see how Jesus did certain things. Because if we do things like he did it, then we will be lining up with the Father. Amen. See, he's our example. He, he's the one that give us a, a snapshot, a view of what God looked like. Hence, at the beginning we said, uh, in, in the beginning of John, he was God in the flesh. He came and dwelt among men. Now look at this. He says in verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. Again, making his claim that because God loves me, I love him. I am his son. Then if he show me something, I'm going to show it to you. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So he was saying to them, hey, I'm just at the beginning of what God's going to do through me. And you're going to see some other things. You got to the marveling now because, you know, the guy got up and walked. But there's some other things that's going to happen and going to show himself even greater through the things that I am going to do. And so look at verse 21. He says, for as the father raised the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. Now, again, you can look at this passage here from two different aspects. One, you can take a look at it that Jesus can give spiritual life. If you go back to that encounter he had with the woman at the well, she was thinking natural, but He was talking spiritual, giving her something that was going to give her life. And now you can look at it from the standpoint that he can give spiritual life. But if you look at it later on, it's going to lead us to believe that Jesus said, hey, at some point in time, I can give you eternal life to the point where you will live again and never die. Okay, so verse 22 and 23, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, so that all who honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, he also does not honor the Son, does not, he who does not also honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus Christ, has, has been committed with him when it comes to the, this judgment, he has the authority on earth to do certain things as he represents God. And he's coming back to them and saying, now look, if you don't honor me, you can't say you honor God. And, and see, that's what he, that we got to see. He said, hey, now now." as a result of saying that, he's continued to build this case That he is God's son. This whole argument here is about him trying to get them to see who he is. And instead of making things better, it's going to make things worse. I'm going to read on and you're going to see here in a minute. He says, verse 24, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words, my word, and believe in him who sent me has everlasting life. So if you listen to the things that I'm teaching you and you believe them, then then you will have everlasting life because you will be believing in the one who sent me. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Eternal judgment is what most believe he's talking there because he's saying that at one day, you know, in Co- Corinthians talk about we're going to all stand before Jesus and we're going to be judged and have to give an account for all that we have done, good or bad. has nothing to do with salvation because we're standing before him, we're already in heaven, but he's going to judge our works. But when it comes to the eternal con- con- condemnation, then there's going to be a judgment that God is going to judge and somebody, some people are going to end up in another place. You know, and, and, and so... He said, Now look, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Again, you can look at that two ways. I want to believe he's talking spiritually at first here because of the way he had the conversation with the woman at the well. Okay? Those who are spiritually dead can hear his voice and then they can be, they can live. But at the same time, because we know he's coming back, you can even tie that to the fact that, okay, this may have to the, something to the fact that if you listen to his voice now and you accept him and live like God wants you to live, then when he comes back, then you're going to live again and live forever. Verse 26, he says, now look, for as the father has life in himself, so he granted, has granted the son... To have life in himself. You know, um, and that's why Jesus could say, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. You know, I can give life. This John, we're going to see this later on in John, talks about Jesus being a lot of things. John's the one talking about He, the bread of life, He, the water of life. He's saying, Hey, I have the ability to give life to anyone who would accept me as the Son of God. He said, It has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of God. Now look at verse 28 and 9. He says, don't marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth. Now that may allude to the resurrection. Okay? Those who have, now look at this, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil, good here in the context we're talking about, good is when you accept him. Okay, this ain't talking about your everyday deeds here. This context here is talking about him. He's trying to convince them who he is. So he's saying, now look, those who have done good by accepting me, you're going to wake up to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil, so Jesus sin rejected him as evil, to the resurrection of nation. which is why we hear people say, everybody going to get up again, but everybody ain't going to be treated the same, same way, and so now, by saying these things, we see in verse 30, 30 he says, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He's righteous. I got to be righteous. So when I look at a situation, I'm not going to look at it in an unrighteous way because that would mean I would be showing sure you that my Father is unrighteous. Because I've already told you I only do the things I see him do. And I'm representing him in the earth. And I want to reveal to you, uh, uh, to him as a righteous God and not an unrighteous God. Okay. Now, now look at this. Now he kind of shift in these verses uh, where Jesus start looking at, you know, witnesses to support his case and to support his claim of who he was, you know, um, and I want to just read this little comment here, and kind of, cause it kind of leads into what we're going to talk about, but it kind of support what is, uh, what what is going to be said next. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Okay, to give eternal life, he made those claims to be the source of life and to judge sin. These statements make it clear that Jesus claimed to be divine, an almost unbelievable claim. So he called upon several witnesses to his divine being. So we're going to see here in this passage, we read, he called on John as a witness, he calls on his works as a witness, he calls on the Father himself and the scriptures and Moses, all as witnesses to who he really is. And so as we look at this and we see by reading the beginning of John, we saw how John represented Jesus. We saw from other books that when Jesus got baptized, the father said, this is my beloved son, and who I am well pleased. And when Jesus was on the Mount Transfiguration with the disciples, the three disciples, it was made clear to them again who he was. And so he was trying to let them know that he has witnesses who can support his claim Because under the law, everything had to be established by two or three witnesses. So he's saying, I'm not going to do anything outside the law. And and our court system works kind of like that today. You know, when you want to convict someone, you got to have more than one witness, supposedly. You know, because someone else got to testify to the fact that they saw the same thing or saw whatever it is this case is about. And so Jesus' is saying, "I'm no different. so I'm going to give you some witnesses to support my claim, and, and he's going to make it clear that if they were true religious leaders, they should have seen these people as credible witness, that was revealing, witnesses, that was revealing him to them. I hope y'all get this. I think it'll make sense when I start reading. Now look, in verse, verse 30, and 30, not verse 31, I'm sorry, he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. I can't come here and just say this because I got to still comply with what God's rules say and he said by the witness of two, then I need to have more than one witness. Okay. Then he said in the verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnessed of me is true. Then he said, now look, you have, you, have sent to, you have sent to John and he has borne witness of the truth. Again, talking about John the Baptist as his witness. You can find that in John chapter 1 when we read that. Verse 6 through 8. He says, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He said, in reality, I don't need John to confirm who I am. But just because I want to give you an opportunity, I'm going to comply with the law that God has established. Because I want you to be saved. I want you to believe what I'm saying is true to the point that is going to change your life. And if I got to give you multiple witnesses to do that, then I'm going to do whatever it takes because at the end of the day I want to get people saved because that's my assignment. He said, now look, talking about John, John, he was the burning and the shining lamp. Came before him, lighting the path, lighting the way and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his life. In other words, John's message sounded good, but it didn't last forever. Maybe John started preaching some things you didn't like. You was willing for a time. And that's how sometimes when people hear the gospel for the first time, they can be willing for a time. But then all of a sudden now going to church and hearing the word don't have its effect anymore, and they start not believing or falling away. So John had a following, and some of these religious leaders was listening to him, and he said people were believing for a time. But John's light started getting a little dimmer, and people weren't accepting it, and so therefore they started walking away. But that was a witness that they should have hung on to, because he was just the forerunner telling you who was coming. Y'all following that so far? Then he says, look, in verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John for the, word, for the work which the Father has given me to finish and the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. He's talking now about his miracles. He said, look, man, when you saw that dude get up after 38 years, that should have been a witness to you. you, you the light should have came on in your head. That that I'm not just some average guy. I'm not some average rabbi. That should have been a witness to you. And and, and after this, he's going to even do greater miracles, he said. But he says, man, for you religious leaders who know what Isaiah and those prophets have said, that should have been a light coming on to you to let you know who I am. So that was two witnesses y'all done had, and you didn't receive either one of them. Now look at this. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen him, his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent Jesus, him you do not believe. Going back to what we said earlier, if you understand me, you would understand him. I'm only doing the things that he requires of me, and I'm not going to do anything that's going to go against what you have heard from him, from your own writers. Right. And so he's saying, look, if we know him, then that ought to be another witness that he is the, Father, the son, and by knowing him, we get access and know the Father. Right. Two witnesses. Then he used scriptures. You know, some of us are scripture searchers. You know, we search the Bible deep, wide, long, but every time we search, don't always mean we know who we're looking for and do we find it. He said, now look, you search the scriptures. Because these guys been religious leaders, that was kind of like, you know, one-upping each other. They, that, that was their job. They were supposed to be, you know, these great teachers. They pride themselves on being knowledgeable of God's law. Especially when they got the title rabbi because they had students under them and things of that nature. So he says, now look, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The very scriptures that you search talk about me. And you're reading them and searching them, but you don't see me in them. So therefore we can read this word and not necessarily see Jesus in it and not understand God because we just Don't see it. Searching the scriptures is one thing, but having a knowledge of the scripture where it changed your life is another thing. Head knowledge don't always equal to action. And so therefore he's saying, hey, you guys search the scriptures. I ain't going to doubt that. Y'all go to class. Y'all done been to rabbi school. But when it comes to applying the things that you heard about me, you don't recognize those things. He said, now look, verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I am the source of life for you. You search the scriptures and they testify of me, but you don't believe them enough to come to me. Look what he says in verse 41. He says, I do not receive honor from men. The point he's trying, he's sticking his finger in the eye, because the lady's going to let us know, they were more concerned about what their counterparts said about them and other folks said. And they, they, they honored and, 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 and loved to receive the praise of men versus, you know, trying to do things to honor God and to honor him. He says, but I know you. That you do not have the love of God in you. Now, this is he telling religiously. I guess, Keisha, that'll make your point. Sometimes we can know the Bible, but we just don't know how to love. Y'all know the Bible. We know the Bible. We study the Bible. And he says, hey, if you knew the Bible, you would know love. Because God is love. And if I'm representing the Father in the earth, I got to represent love. And he's telling religious leaders that you don't have the love of God in you. Man, can you imagine being a guy who done been through rabbi school and you enrolled, you know, enrolled to be a Pharisee of Pharisees and this dude come up and tell you, man, you don't know God. All because you ain't got no love in your heart. Man, I mean, I can see them boys getting upset right now. Go ahead, Brother Carol.
4: Pastor, when I was in seminary, um, I was surrounded by people like that. They they um, taught you the word and everything, and I, and I was shocked because I thought that, you know, the teachers and everything, um, you know, they would be just, you know, just spirit-filled, but it seemed like they were, they were very knowledgeable of the word, but then when you, you know, it just wasn't evident, you know. Other aspects of their life, and so here you have these people in the seminary who's teaching you. And I was just scratching my head. I was like, and I was not in a seminary like a typical um, seminary that you know we would normally go to, like in a Baptist seminary or whatever mm-hmm. you know, in our hometown. I was at, I'm gonna call the name of the seminary, but I will at um, Fuller Seminary, and um, and so they have teachers all over. So I just had a preconceived idea of you know what it would be like. It just wasn't anything like it, like I thought it was. It was just like going to college, mm. and it was a college professor teaching, and um, and they they knew the word and everything.
0: Amen. Amen. And so what he says, he says in verse 41 he says I do not receive honor from men but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Then in verse 43 he says I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If if another name If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And apparently there must have been some false teachers flowing through there, had a good word, and Jesus said, hey, look, there's some people that came through, is lesser than I am. And y'all jumped on his bandwagon and followed him, and he ain't even the father's son. And, you know, we do that today. We just jump on folks' bandwagon and don't know what they're all about. They just sound good. And next thing you know, we follow the man and not the word of God. And so therefore, he says, hey man, sometime, because we are human, we can get caught up in human personality. And when we do that, we lose sight of God. And so therefore, what he's trying to let them know, that hey, others have come, and y'all listen to them, but here I am the real deal, and y'all don't even receive me. Man, Look at this verse 44 he says how can you believe who receives honor from one another in other words hey man when the boy like you say Cal, hey we get together as the professors at the university we sit down about, oh man i nailed that class i did this i'm doing that doing all that and we receive honor from one another and may not necessarily be giving that honor to god or to giving that honor to jesus so these were religious leaders teachers and all that and so he said now how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Jesus said, Look, man, you you got someone that represents God right here in the midst of you, and you don't want to even honor him. Man, they they missed it again, going back to something Keisha said earlier, because they were probably caught up in the tradition and what they have been taught, and but they should have known because all the prophets gave them some indication that Jesus was coming. But for whatever reason, they didn't receive that and because they didn't receive that they missed the opportunity you know, to make a difference in in that generation. Now look at this, he says in verse 45 and I'm almost done, he says do not think that I shall accuse you uh, to the Father. There's no one there's no one, no, no. there is one who accused you. Now they go back and pick on, he pick on one of their favorites. <laughs> Moses, in whom you trust. Y'all trust Moses, and a greater one than Moses right here, and y'all thinking I'm going to be the one, the guy who you trust, the guy who you really look up to, that the guy who you honor his first five books of the Bible, he's sitting up there, Saying, y'all missed it, man. <laughs> y'all missed it. Y'all truly didn't understand. So Jesus said, look, I ain't going to have to judge you. That same guy that y'all look up to and hold in high esteem, he going to judge you. You trusted him, and he's sitting there judging you and said, man, y'all missed it. And I can imagine when he said that, man, them guys, man, he done brought in Moses in the argument. He done, all that spiritual stuff he brought in, but now he done brought in Moses. Moses, that's our boy, man. We, we look up, and now he gonna say, my boy up there gonna judge me? Look, he said, now look, for if you believe Moses, you be- would believe me. So obviously he was trying to let him know, apparently either y'all didn't believe him or you didn't understand Moses, because if you had understood all the things that he wrote and that you read, then you would know me and believe me. For he wrote about me. Wow, I can imagine this in saying, saying, What? We done read them five books of the Old Testament? The, the, the Pentateuch? And we didn't see you in there? They didn't understand what they was reading, even though they were educated. You know... There are some people, you know, I used to always wonder how sometimes back in the day when I've seen grandmamas and older people, man, who all they do is sit at home and read that Bible, man. Don't have no formal high school education, nothing like that. But man, they can read that word and it look like God revealed himself to them folks sometimes better than he do to people who go to school. I mean, just make himself known to them without any form of education. Because I believe if you seek him, you'll find him. And if you make yourself known to him, he already know you, he will reveal himself to you. Yes, we, we want to have teachers to teach and all that. I'm not knocking any of that. But the Bible is clear to say the spirit is a teacher. The spirit is a revealer. And so I believe those people, man, they was connected with God by the Spirit, and man, he was revealing and showing things to them that people who had education missed. Missed. Because they didn't have to filter what they were getting through all these other folks they were looking up to, and, and that's what happened to us right now. A lot of things we don't always get because we have become dependent on commentary. What somebody else thought is, and so therefore we go with that Rather than saying, okay, God, what can you show me? Now, I'm not knocking, going and looking up words to make sure you got the right definition of a word from Hebrew to Greek and all that for clarity and for being right. But I do believe that the Spirit of God can still reveal some things to you, man. And he can show you some things and teach you some that will be pure, that you can share with others and they will receive it. And so when I talk about that, I'm not talking, man, I got, I got probably every commentary that's been made out there and, and I don't probably look through all of them For On any given Sunday. I may look through five or six of them before I decide which one lined up with what my head is, you know, before I go out with something. So I'm not knocking studying and all that because the Bible tells us to study and show ourselves approved. But I do believe that the Spirit of God can reveal some things to us. And, and, the, and the simple things that He can reveal to us can confound the wise Amen. that surround us. He said, Now look, and I'm done. He says, For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe, this is powerful, I I had to read this two times because I missed it the first time. If you don't believe his writing, how will you believe my words? Man, you've been reading him for years and you don't believe his writing, then how are you gonna believe my sermon the 45 minutes. How are you going to believe it? And I think that tracks right to how we are today. You, if you don't believe what you read before you get here, you ain't going to believe because I Because I said it. Or somebody else said it. So you're going to have to start believing what you read before you get here so that when it's confirmed through what is said from the pulpit or from the floor, whatever, then now it's just like the Spirit is confirming to you that what you read is true. Amen. So that was his argument, and that's how he kind of closed his case. And again, as we're going to see as we go further, that, that every time Jesus had this confrontation, these confrontations with the religious leaders, you know, the, the price on his head got higher and higher leading up to, you know what we know the end game is okay any any comments any comments before we get ready to close out start getting-